Good morning. Turn with me, if you would, to God's Word, the book of Luke, and chapter 8. We'll continue where we last stopped in our study of this book. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Husa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. And when a great multitude had gathered, and others had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. And the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. I have uh, recently bought a house, as many of you know, and uh, many of you even helped me move to that house. And uh, maybe one of the things you remember about the house is uh, the outside didn't look quite so nice. There was uh, a little patch of grass and a lot of uh, bricks with weeds growing between the bricks. And uh, I wasn't happy with that backyard. And I intend, and I've started doing something with that backyard. And one of the things that's been on my heart, whenever I thought of buying a house, even before I bought a house, was to plant some fruit trees. And I also like, as those of you who may know me know, having some vegetables, maybe uh, tomatoes. Uh, They always taste so much better when I grow them than when I buy them in the store. In uh, this passage, talks about fruit. About fruit. Sowing, sowing and reaping fruit. The notable thing here is that God is interested in fruit. But God is not interested in the fruit that grows on trees. He's not interested in the fruit that grows in vegetable gardens. He's interested in the fruit that grows in human hearts. 
And that's what this passage is about. And uh, I wanted to start and think a little bit, what is this fruit that God is after? It says in Isaiah that God has made us for his glory, for his glory. And uh, I would submit to you that that's the fruit that God is looking for out of our lives. Glory. Glory to God. There's uh, at least three ways I thought of of how God can get glory out of our lives. And uh, the first one uh, you might find in uh, Ephesians. You could turn there, but you don't have to. I'll, I'll read the passage. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses starting at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So our first question might be, what is the glory of God? And the glory of God is literally the manifestation of his attributes. God is a wonderful person, if I might use that word. It, it seems like a very weak thing to say. But how is it that you will find out that he is a wonderful person? Well, you find out he is a wonderful person by the wonderful things that he does. And in this passage, he talks about one of the wonderful things that he does. And one of the wonderful things that he does is he takes me, a sinner, fit for nothing but for the wrath of God. And he elevates me and places me in heaven. And he showers upon me, starting in this life and for eternity, all the blessings of God. It says every heavenly blessing in the, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is mine. And then God places me, if you would, in heaven and allows everybody to see how wonderful he is because of what he has done upon, what he's done for me. So I become, if you would, an example of the grace of God. And people will be able to look at me for eternity and see just how much grace God has. And in this passage, it says the exceeding riches of his grace because that's what it took to get me to heaven. <clears throat> and I would say that's what it took to get every one of you into heaven who will be in heaven. And it's a manifestation of God's glory. So that's one way that God gets glory out of our life. It's simply what he gives to us. But we have to receive it. It's interesting, the seed in this place is, uh, is Jesus is, is described as the sower, and he says he puts the seeds on the, on the wayside and on the rocky ground and on the place with weeds and on the good ground. There's no limit to the extent of God's grace. He wants everyone to enjoy his grace. As we'll find here, not everybody does, but that's because of our choices. But God wants to demonstrate his grace, and when you receive it, you give God an opportunity to show how wonderful of a God he is. And that's, that's the first way we can show uh, we can give glory to God. is simply receiving the abundance of his riches, of his grace. Uh, the next way we can show glory to God is by how we act toward God. And an excellent example of it was this morning we spent an hour worshiping God for this very fact, for God pouring his riches and his graces upon us, blessing us in such a mighty way, we decided to spend an hour simply praising him, Sim simply speaking, saying how wonderful we think God is, and maybe a brother calling a hymn or two, and singing about how wonderful God is. And uh, that's good. God appreciates it. Again, we're, we're thinking of how is it that the glory, the, the inside, how wonderful a person is God can be revealed. Well, one way it's revealed is by God doing wonderful things. Another way it's revealed is by people showing how much they appreciate God for the things that he did. And he says this. He says, he says ev that uh, one day every knee will bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So even our very act of speaking his greatness is, a, is something that reveals how great God is, and he is pleased with it. Now, someone might say that words are cheap, and that's true. 
people can say whatever they want to say and it may not mean a whole lot. Now God appreciates it. When we speak his, we, when we speak his glory out of our heart, when we appreciate how wonderful he is and we say it, God appreci- appreciates it. But there's a greater way. And we, we have that for us at the beginning of the passage. Really verses 1 through 3 talks about people following Jesus. So they felt Jesus was so great. They didn't just say Jesus is Lord or Jesus is great. They left all and followed after him. They showed how great they felt he was by how they lived their life. Words are cheap. Actions have more weight to them. Uh, it says of, of some of these women that apparently uh, have, have had some sort of a saving account, had some sort of provision that came to them. They used the provision, or if you would, the money to support Jesus and maybe the company that was around Jesus to provide for them. We say, you put your money where your mouth is. So it's one thing to praise the Lord, say how great it is, another to, you know, use your money in a way that serves God's purposes. It shows it's not just your words, it's real. You really feel how great it is, how great God is, and you're demonstrating it with your actions, or in this case, with your money. So those are two, two ways, and they're related. Obviously, it's because of the wonderful things that God has done for us, and we realize how wonderful it is that we want to declare it, we want to show it whether in our words or in our actions. <clears throat> uh, the third one that I have is also related, and we worship the Lord for that specifically this morning, and uh, that we reveal how wonderful God is by actually becoming like him. And uh, that's not something we can actually do on our own. Tom, Tom mentioned of uh, how people in this world will sometimes want to emulate somebody else. They want to dra- dress like a a star or someone that they think is wonderful dresses, and in some way you're showing how, much, how great you think that person is by trying to look like him. Well, there's no way that we could actually become like God. God is wonderful. We couldn't become like God on our own. It's something that he has to do in us, and we were worshiping him for that this morning. So it's not just something I do for God. It's something God does in me. But again, it's an opportunity to show how great God is. It says this of Jesus It says that Jesus was the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He's talking about Jesus revealing what God was like. When Jesus came into this world, he revealed what God was like by his very life, by what he was like. Well, by the grace, the exceeding grace, riches of God's grace, we can actually do the same. We can become more like God, and by the way we act, actually reveal more of what God is like. the Christian missions of, uh, of uh, hundreds of years ago when people were leaving Europe to go to India and China and other places, a lot of times what they started by doing was opening schools and opening hospitals. And that was often the first opportunity that people in heathen lands had the chance to see what love and kindness was like because that's what the Christians were doing. Well, they were simply revealing the character of God. That's what God is like. And by us being kind and loving and reflecting the character of God in our life, we can actually bring glory to God. We reveal what God is like. So God wants glory out of our life. How does God go about it? Well, I want fruit trees or vegetables in my garden. How do I go about it? I have to plant seeds. And that's what God is doing, and that's what Jesus describes in this passage, in this parable. He describes himself as the sower. What is it that God uses as seeds? He uses this. Right? He uses the word of God as seeds. That's what God, <coughs> how God was going about, how Jesus was going about, and we have it at the beginning of the passage. It says, Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. That's what he was about. He was trying to bring glory out of people's lives by preaching the word, giving them the word of God. And we shouldn't be surprised, perhaps, that that's how God is trying to bring glory out of our lives because that's how he does everything. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God expects his word to bear fruits. He says, uh, as, as the rain comes from heaven and the snow, so my word will not return to me void, but will bring forth the fruit that I desire to bring. <coughs> okay. Uh, well, what we find in this passage is that Jesus is very concerned. Now, 
Jesus was going and he was preaching and some people were, it says here, were following Jesus and even providing for Jesus. In verse 4 it says, a great multitude has gathered. But Jesus was very concerned. He was not satisfied with numbers of people who were gathering to him. He was concerned about the lack of fruit in their life. The lack of glory coming to God out of their lives. <clears throat> and so he speaks this parable. And in this parable we find out the different ways in which uh, people can receive the word of God without bearing fruit, without bringing glory to God. And there will be at the very end some people who do bring glory to God. So hopefully this uh, passage will challenge us to live lives that bring glory to him, to receive the word of God in a way that bears fruit to God. So the first group we have here, described in verse 5 and then again in verse 12, is the wayside. Now, the wayside in those days would have been the equivalent of a paved road. They didn't pave roads at that time. But they had uh, a way that people would walk uh, sometime around the field, sometime maybe through a field that someone would be plowing. Remember, this is a, a farmer here. He's trying to get fruit to grow out of the ground. And if you were to walk on a ground enough and enough people follow, the ground becomes very, very hard. And you can throw the seeds on it, and they're not going to go anywhere. They're just going to sit on the surface. They have no opportunity to implant in the ground because the surface of the ground is so hard. And in fact, because they're on the wayside, people are going to come by and walk all over them, and that doesn't really help. And then to add to that, the birds will come and they'll eat the fruits. I'm sorry, they'll eat the seeds, and that's it. That's the end. There's no fruit that's going to come out of those seeds. Well, the Lord applies it to people. He says that there are people who are like that. The word of God might be preached to them, or maybe they'll read it in the Bible, or somebody will share it with them. Maybe they'll hear it in a Bible study. And it does nothing at all. It just sits on the surface. They're, they're not interested in what God has to say. Um, and therefore, there's no opportunity for the Word of God to interact with them, and there's no way that the Word of God will bring any fruit out of their life, because they're not interested in it. In fact, uh, it's interesting... Uh, I, I appreciate Rick pointing it out often. <clears throat> God doesn't waste a word. And he uses the word trample here. And I think that's how God feels about people who use his word in that way. That they do nothing with the word. In fact, they may turn around and, and tell their friends how silly it was what the preacher was saying. I hope you won't do it this time. <clears throat> and it's the word of God that's being trampled. And God does not appreciate it. Because in his eyes, his word is precious. And it was designed to bring fruit out of that person's life. And it's being trampled. <clears throat> and uh, the Lord explains what it is, uh, the picture of the birds coming and eating it. It says that it's, uh, that it's Satan or the devil in verse 12. It says, Then the devil comes and takes away the wood out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And uh, you kind of wonder, why does God allow for it? Here God put his precious seed, his word, into the hearts of people. And it's designed to bring fruit. And it, fruit, and it says here very clearly, salvation. That's the main way, or at least the way the fruit starts. There's no fruit in a person's life until they get saved. Why does God allow it? <clears throat> and uh, we have an explanation for it, if you would, or at least uh, an example of it later on in this passage. Jesus speaks another parable in verses 16 through 18. He says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have will be taken away from him. And in this parable, Jesus is comparing his word to a lamp that gives light. And his word is supposed to give us light and show us the condition in which we are, 
and the opportunity that God has given us to be redeemed and saved from our condition of sin. And uh, he's complaining here effectively with the use of it. People, uh, in essence, were taking his word and hiding it under a bed. They were doing nothing with it. They weren't letting it light their lives. And he was saying, that's not what you do with the lamp. You put it on top so everybody can see what's going on. So you can see your life and what's going on. And uh, I think often people do not do it with the word of God because they think their sin is hidden. They think they can continue to live a life of sin and nobody will find it out. And Jesus is saying here, no, it will be found out. Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, no anything hidden that would not be, that will not be known and come to light. You'll find out. People will find out. Everybody will, will have it known what it is that's actually going in your life. Charlie was uh, trying to suggest to us that there was maybe an instrument you could put on that will reflect your thoughts and your heart and everybody will know what you're thinking and feeling and someone called the bluff on him. <coughs> but uh, what God is saying is this will happen. One day everybody will know what you're thinking. One day everybody will know what's in your heart. It will be revealed. And so <coughs> what Jesus is saying, let's take care of it now. I'm giving you my word now to be used in your life to reveal what your life is like so we can do something about it and fix it. And people are not there hiding it. And then Jesus gives in verse 18 really the principle, or if you would, the judgment. He said, therefore take heed how you hear. Be careful what you're doing with my word. For whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever is making good use of my word, I will give him more of it. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. What God is saying, if you're not going to use my word the way it's designed to be used to bring fruit out of your life, I'm taking it back. I'm not going to let you just sit with your word in your heart and you're doing nothing with it or trampling it. I'm not interested in that. That's not what I gave it for. I'm going to take it back. <clears throat> so it is, it's Satan's work, but it's with God's agreement. There's a, a similar passage in the book of Thessalonians, really a, a scary passage, talking about the end times and somebody being used by Satan to deceive mankind and uh, turn them against God so that at the end there'll be this really open war, if you would, by the rest of the world against uh, God himself. And he says... Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So again, talking about uh, the deceiving that's being worked uh, by the power of Satan, deceiving those who received not the love of the truth, and again, preventing them from being saved. And it says, And for this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should not believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So it actually says, when people refuse to receive the word of God, that he wants to bear fruit in their lives, at a later point, there will be no more opportunity for them to do so. At a later point, Satan will take his opportunity to take that out of their lives and God will actually cooperate with that because God has no interest for people to trample his wood and not make a good use out of his wood. <clears throat> so what it's saying is there's really a limited time opportunity. You hear the word of God today, you might say, well, you know, maybe some other time I'll think about it. I'll think about it. And what God is saying, there's a limited time opportunity for you to respond to it. <clears throat> in fact, that time has come for the people that Jesus was speaking to. How can we tell that? Because he's starting to speak to them in parables so that they can no longer understand what he's saying to them. That's what he's saying in verse 10. He says, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that, seeing they may not see, and hearing 
they may not understand. There were people who've been hearing Jesus preaching and have been ignoring his word and trampling his word, and it has come to the point that he's speaking to them in parables so that they cannot understand what he's saying. Their time has passed. Don't let that happen to you. <clears throat> it says, uh, there's a, a, a verse we, we quote often. It says, Today is the day of salvation. Today is your opportunity. There's another verse that says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. There's a time. There's a limited opportunity. God wants you to come to him and receive his word and bear fruit. His word becomes saved while there is time. Okay, so this is the first group of people, those who are described by the wayside, those who have no interest in the word of God. The second group is described for us in verse 6 and 13 of Luke chapter 8. They're described as the rock or the rocky ground. Uh, One of the things I had to do in order to uh, plant uh, things in my house, I had to remove bricks, but uh, if you imagine ground that had bricks on it and people walk on the bricks becomes kind of hard. So. You want to, obviously, you don't want it to be packed hard so the, the root can't penetrate, the seed can't germinate at all. But you also want to give a, a lot of fluffy ground. So you actually come in and you turn the earth and you try to make a ground that the roots can actually grow in. Because if you don't, a root might come, it'll come into contact with enough earth that it will germinate and it will start growing roots. But if it reaches, reaches a rock or some very hard ground that it can't penetrate, the root will stop growing. Now, the shoot will still come up. In fact, it may come up faster than if there was more ground for the roots to go into. But there's no, uh, there isn't enough dirt to, keep, to hold moisture and to allow the plant to actually survive. So as soon as you get a nice, honey, uh, a nice sunny day, that plant will die. It will just completely dry up and die. And uh, that's what Jesus is picturing here in verses 6 and 13. And... He says, again, this describes a group of people. So here we have people who hear the word of God. They interact with the word of God. They actually like what they're hearing. It says in verse 13 that they receive the word with joy. So there's something that God is saying that they really like and like, yay, we want that. But there's something hard in their lives that the root is not able to penetrate through. And uh, these are... Uh, perhaps uh, people that, that are very happy to hear the good news. I'm happy to hear that God loves me. Thank you for telling me that. I'm happy to hear that God wants me to be in heaven. You know, thank you for telling me that too. Don't talk to me about my sin. Okay, I don't like hearing that. That's, that's the root hitting a hard rock and not able to penetrate. There's a good example of this if you would turn to the book of John in chapter 6 of what happens in that situation. I'm going to do a flyby of this chapter if I can. Uh, It starts in uh, the beginning of chapter 6. We have what's uh, called the feeding of the 5,000. There were uh, people, there wasn't a lot of uh, food available. I'll start... Uh, reading in verse 9, uh, it says, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as, as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragment that remain so nothing is lost. Okay, this is the feeding of 5,000 people are very happy. They were hungry and now they're full. It says in verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Do these people believe in Jesus? They do, right? This is truly the prophet who is to come into this world. They have faith. Jesus says that there's a... These people who receive the seed but have the hard rock, they believe. They believe. These people believe. Right? They believe. <coughs> well, um, 
there's a problem. In, in verse 15 it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were, about, they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to a mountain by himself. So he's leaving them. They seem to be really excited about Jesus. Jesus is not really excited about them. Okay, so there seems to be a problem. <coughs> well, um, we'll skip down to verse 25. It seems that these people are really looking hard for Jesus after he left them. It says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on them, on him. So we see here the problem. These people want their tummies filled again. They enjoyed the meal that Jesus provided for them. And Jesus is not satisfied because that's all they want from him. And he has a lot more to give. He's not willing to simply provide what they think he wants to give to them. He's not satisfied. There's not going to be real food to God. Why? Because these people are not saved. There's no food for God out of their lives. Jesus refuses to pay, play along, uh, if you would, with, uh, with what they want. They, they want less than what Jesus is willing to give to them. Jesus is not uh, willing to give it to them. We're going to go ahead and skip now toward the end of the chapter. But Jesus has a lot of things to say to them which they don't like hearing. Because basically he won't give them what they want. He won't be this Messiah that will simply help them with their earthly needs. He refuses to be that. And instead, he is basically telling them they have no life in them unless they believe in him. They need to be saved from their sins. <clears throat> in verse 60, it says this, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, that is, all these things that Jesus has been telling them, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus in himself, knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would be... So did these people believe or not believe? Well, they believed in something. They didn't believe in what Jesus wanted them to believe in. There was a, uh, there was a difference in the faith. <clears throat> uh, verse 65, And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So this is what Jesus was, was talking about. He says, um, these people that have faith, but that faith has no roots, when a trial will come, they'll fall away. This faith that they have will die. That's what he said. That's what happened to these people who believed, who Jesus says did not believe. But as soon as a trial came, as soon as Jesus said, wait a second, I'm not, I'm not going to give you this bread anymore. You guys are getting the wrong message. They fell away. They're like, well, you know, we don't, we don't want any of this. You're not going to give us what we want. We don't want anything from you. They, they, they walked away from him. <clears throat> then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Was there a difference between the faith Peter had and the faith these other disciples had? Peter's faith had roots. Peter has been shown something about himself, the fact that he was a sinner, that he needed to be saved from his sins, and he realized Jesus was the only one who could do it. So he went through a trial, but his faith survived. And that's <clears throat> the reason Jesus is telling uh, his, his disciples this, or the people who are listening this, is because Jesus doesn't want you to be fooled if you don't have the right kind of faith. If you, if you are refusing to let the Word of God go inside and show you fully who you are and what you are like, 
you're deceiving yourself. You think, well, I believe. I believe Jesus loves me. I believe he'll take me to heaven, but I, I don't want to talk about this stuff inside here. You're just deceiving yourself. There is no root to your faith. Now, <clears throat> you will never know how wonderful God is unless you let him finish showing you how sinful you are. It's, it's your sinfulness and his love in the midst of your sinfulness and what he wants to do with your sinfulness, what he wants to turn you into that will show you truly how wonderful God is. And then you could truly glorify God with your life, first by receiving the blessing he wants to bring in and then being able to speak about it. There will be no fruit if you're resisting the word of God and not letting it go in and show it the truth about yourself. <clears throat> so that's the second group. The third group of people are described for us in Luke, if you go back to Luke chapter 7. It says, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And then, again in verse 14, and the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. <clears throat> so in this case, uh, and again, I, I uh, love my daughter. You may have seen her earlier ringing the bell, and... Uh, gathering everybody in here. Uh, she likes, likes uh, going out to our backyard and uh, picking weeds. And uh, we actually uh, give the weeds to uh, Mrs. Mulgrew because she has a rabbit, and the rabbit likes eating weeds, is what we've heard. Now, I like that my daughter goes out there and picks the weeds, and in fact, I actually have an agreement with her. I will pay her for it. I pay her a penny a weed. So she actually picked a hundred weeds this morning and she got, a, she got a dollar for it. Okay? The reason I like her picking the weeds isn't because I love the rabbit. I'm sure it's a cute rabbit. It's because the weeds get in the way of what I want to do in my garden. I want fruit. And if you try to plant your vegetables, as I've done more than once, and been uh, perhaps uh, not very careful in keeping the weeds, out of the garden, you'll find you don't get as much fruit. And it's not because the, weed, the, the plant is not alive. The plant is still alive, <clears throat> but there's too much competition for resources. The plant is not able to get as much water or as much, much nutrients from the ground. Uh, it may be shaded by the weeds, so it's not getting as much sunlight to produce the fruit that I like to eat. <clears throat> and that's the concern that the Lord has in this verse. You have a plant that's not producing fruit. Why? Because there's competition for resources. And this is a person who might be willing to interact with the Word of God. Not only that, he's not just willing to talk about the good things, he might be willing to talk about some of the bad things the Word says about his life. Maybe, oh yeah, the Word of God says I'm a sinner, I want to listen to that. But he has other things he's doing. He has maybe... Uh, some hobbies he's really interested in. Or maybe he has a career and a job and he's just spending 12 hours a day at that job. Or, or maybe he has a relationship with someone and, you know, the Bible's good, but I got other things going on in my life right now. And as a result, there is no fruit. A person who may be willing to interact with the Word of God, but they just have too many other things going for them. And as a result, the Word of God is not able to accomplish in them what it wants to accomplish. I remember when I was uh, in uh, college, started going to a Bible study. Uh, in fact, uh, probably the very first, one of the first Bible studies I went to, uh, I was perhaps newly saved, perhaps not quite saved yet. I was right, right around that time. And I remember that there was a lot of discussion as we were studying this passage. The Bible study was studying the parables in the book of Luke. That's what it was. The purpose of the study was. And there was a lot of discussion, you know, are these people saved or are, not, are they not saved? And, uh, well, it's pretty easy with the first group. It says, you know, Satan takes the word out of their heart lest they should be saved. Okay, we know that's, these people are not saved. Second group is maybe just a little bit harder, but uh, not so hard for any student of the Bible. It says that the, their faith falls away. They stop believing. Well, if you're saved by faith and you no longer believe, you're no longer saved, which really means because we know you're saved forever once you're saved. 
you were never saved. You had the wrong faith. It wasn't uh, the saving faith that you needed to have. So second group is not saved. Third group we had a lot more discussion about. It wasn't as obvious. But again, if you're a student of the Word of God, and look carefully about what it says, it says they bring no fruit to maturity. Now, if bringing fruit is bringing glory to God, and God is not able to bring any glory to himself out of your life, there's a problem. First of all, because part of being saved is God putting you in heaven and for eternity demonstrating how wonderful of a God he is because he saved you. So if you're bringing no glory to God, you're not part of that group. Second, we talked about there should be a natural response of love to God because of the wonderful things he has done for you. And that response in itself brings glory to God. And if, if you don't love God, you're not thankful to him, you, you won't praise him, you won't speak of him, you won't acknowledge him as Lord, can you be saved? I see some people shaking their head. <coughs> uh, we talked about being conformed to the image of Christ, and we would all like to be more like Christ than we currently are. But if there's been no change in your life, no evidence of the work of God, can you be saved? And uh, I, I think any students of the Word will say, no, these things are not possible. So, so this person <coughs> is also uh, not saved. And again, uh, the Lord might be trying to wake that up in them. But uh, there's no additional consequence to this one. They, the first group of people, it says the devil took the word out of their heart. Uh, the second group of people, they fell away in time of temptation. In this one, really, the only consequence is they bring no fruit to maturity. And uh, <clears throat> basically what the Lord is saying, the loss is theirs. God created us for the purpose of knowing him. And the natural result of knowing him would be to glorify him or praising him or bringing him glory. And uh, if, you're, if you, you haven't reached, if that, the, the fruit of the word of God hasn't reached that stage in your life, if you haven't borne any fruit, the loss is yours. You're missing the very purpose for which God has created you. The loss is yours. <clears throat> you're chasing after all these other things and you're putting them in somehow an equal footing with the word of God and you'll end up with nothing. All these things you're chasing up after will disappear, uh, like the wind or like the breath. Uh, <coughs> uh, the, the, the word vanity in Hebrew, uh, this is uh, taken from Ecclesiastes. Solomon wrote a book, and the conclusion of the book is all is vanity under the sun. Everything we can do here on the earth has no value. And the word vanity in Hebrew, hevel, literally is the... Uh, the mist that comes out of your mouth on a cold day, it just appears for a second or two, and then it's gone. And that's what all these life's pursuit will become. None of these things will last. Bringing glory to God, knowing God will last forever. Amen. These other things have no value, no lasting value. <clears throat> they should not be put on equal footing with the Word of God. Uh, now, we will, let's be clear... These, these groups of people are unsaved, the first three groups of people we talked about. However, uh, I remember Bill used to say something, a passage has, uh, will have one interpretation, but it may have multiple applications. Uh, allow me to bring another application into uh, the passage, just briefly, and that is talking about fruit in our own lives as believers. <laughs> I think as believers, we will sometimes bear much fruit bring much glory to God. And it could be, as believers, we may not be, be, be bringing as much fruit or as much glory to God as perhaps we should. Uh, maybe, maybe some people here feel that they are maximizing the glory they can bring to God. I recently listened to a biography of George Mueller and I was convicted quite a bit about how much glory I bring to God in my life. Uh, for those of you who don't know, George Mueller <coughs> was uh, saved in Germany and uh, went to England. And uh, in England, he started orphanages. He started with 20 people, 20 kids, and he ended up having 2,000 children that he was caring for. But that's not so special. What was special was the fact he was doing it by prayer alone. He had no earthly provision. He never told anyone what he needed to take care of these 2,000 orphans. All he did is go and pray and pray, and the Lord would provide, and provide for him and his 2,000 orphans that he had. 
Now, usually uh, we just think of that and I think, boy, this must have been a man who really loved orphans and really wanted to take care of them. But uh, the truth is, and if you read his biography, you'll find this out, is George Mueller did this for one purpose, and that was to demonstrate that the God we have today is the same God who walked two million people from Egypt to Israel and fed them for 40 years without help. And that's the same God we have today, and he can take care of us just as much. And George Mueller wanted to prove it, so he gathered orphans and he prayed for them, and God provided. <coughs> so he brought glory to God. He showed what God is like. Well, uh, <coughs> if you, if you uh, look at George Mueller's life and you think here of what it is that brings fruits out of our life to God, it's, it's not hard to see what George Mueller was doing that I wasn't and that was maybe helping him bring more glory to God. Well, one thing, <coughs> George Mueller records that in uh, the years after he got saved, he read the Bible for over 200 times. 100 of those times was on his knees. This is a person who appreciated the Word of God, thinking that in contrast for those people who have, not, have no interest in the Word of God or might even trample on the Word of God. He is a person who would read it on his knees. That's how much he appreciated the Word of God. Another thing, as I was uh, listening to the biography, that I noticed this was a person who was very sensitive to what the Word of God was saying. As believers, we will not trample the Word of God. We will not be completely disinterested in it, but we may not esteem it as much as we should. As believers, we must allow the Word of God into our lives because it has to expose our sins in order for us to be saved. <clears throat> but we may still resist it in some way or another and not want to do everything the Word of God says. One of the things that uh, comes out when you listen to George Mueller's biography is his sensitivity to the Word of God. He, he came from a completely different background. We have a church here that uh, is, is trying very hard to stick with what the Word of God teaches. He would go to churches, even after being saved, where the preacher didn't know God and was not preaching the gospel. And the, and the Lord slowly led George Mueller away from those kind of churches, but if you were to churches where people knew the word of God and were preaching the gospel, but when George Mueller would see a principle that didn't fit with the word of God, he would break away from it. Uh, sometime to his own hurt, he was a pastor in a church, and studying the word of God, he may have read a passage similar to what we did in Second Corinthians today, and he was like, I don't see the word of God saying that I should be receiving a salary from these people. That's the custom at the time, and even today in most churches, is the pastor receives a salary. There's some sort of an agreement. If I come here and I preach the word of God, you'll pay me so much. And George Mueller said, this is not in the scripture, and he told the congregation, I don't want you to pay me a salary anymore. <clears throat> so he was sensitive, even at his own hurt. If the word of God said something, he would change his life to conform to it. Uh, so, the Lord was using him and bringing a lot of glory out of this man's life because of how this person, how this man was responding to the word of God, how he was esteeming the word of God. <clears throat> uh, let's look at the last group of people. So, we saved the best for last. Thank you, Father. We have in uh, verse 8 and verse, four, uh, verse 15 uh, the good result, but others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. I think we don't realize the potential of a human soul to bring glory to God. But Jesus did, and the potential he describes in verse 8 is yielding, yielding a crop a hundredfold. Jesus thinks that the investment he puts into us yields a hundredfold glory to God. 
a hundredfold fruit to God, God thinks it's an awesome investment. I have a hard time seeing it. But, but God looks at a human soul and he sees a potential for a hundredfold glory to his name on the investment that he puts into us. <clears throat> How do we bring this glory to God? How does it come out of our life? Well, uh, in verse 15... It gives us a pretty clear instruction. First of all, it's hearing the word of God. So, really, this is all you have. Uh, we sometimes say in my, my workplace, I need the right tools for the right job. This is the right tools to bring glory to God. You need nothing else. Just the word of God. Uh, second, it says, with a noble and good heart. Well, <clears throat> what is a noble and good heart? I spent uh, some time looking at the Greek. And uh, the word noble could also be translated as good. So what Jesus is saying is you need a good and a good heart. Uh, but by process of elimination, you could say it's a heart that values the word of God. It's a heart that is soft to the word of God. It allows the word of God to come in and show, show me whatever it is in my life I need to see. Uh, and it's... Uh, <clears throat> It's, it's a heart that's not distracted by other things. There's not a lot of weeds. I'm giving the word of God my full attention. That's a good heart. Uh, second, it says it needs, <clears throat> it needs to keep it. Okay, you hear the word with a noble and good heart. You keep it. What does it mean to keep it? Well, uh, it means two things. First, you need to remember what the word of God says. Uh, you keep it. You don't forget it. It's not lost as it was in one of the other groups. And um, if you want to keep it, one of the things you can do is memorize it. And uh, some of uh, the greater blessings of my life have come from memorizing the Word of God. And there's, there's at least two ways in which I was blessed by it. Uh, the first one is I'm blessed by the process of it. I enjoy if you would, meditating on the Word of God, which is required when you memorize it. I don't know about you, but to memorize something, I have to say it. Then I have to say it again. And then I have to say it again. Probably 20 or 30 times. And then the next day, I have to say it again. Or I'll forget it. And then a week later, I'll have to say it again. And a month later, I'll have to say it again. So you're forced, if you're going to memorize the Word of God, it means spending a lot of time with it. And uh, I was thinking of a verse in Jeremiah. He says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Enjoying the word of God. Memorizing the word of God gives you a chance to really take it in and enjoy it. Eat it. <clears throat> Second, it gives you an advantage later on because... I might be doing something, and uh, I may not have the Bible in front of me. I don't have a preacher preaching at me. And I have a temptation to do something that's wrong. And it's often then that the Word of God will come in and say, don't do it, and here's why. Because I've committed it into my heart. It says this in, the, in Psalm 119, Thy words have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. You're hiding it, you're keeping it, and it'll come back later and help you. So, memorizing the Word of God is a good thing to do. And by the way, if you'll memorize the Word of God, and you'll come up here and stand and say it in front of us, we'll give you some McDonald's gift certificates. <laughs> really, it's a program we have. Now, now if for you, those of you that are grown-ups, which is most of you here in the audience, maybe we'll give you some other encouragement as well. But... Uh, We've used it in, in the past, and in fact, that's what got me. Uh, I actually memorized Psalm 119 once, and what got me to do it is that Bill McDonald said he would give 100 bucks to everybody who memorizes Psalm 119, and that was enough for me. I was a starving college student. Okay? So, so $100 meant a lot at that time. And I was blessed by it. Well, the second, the second part of keeping the Word of God, so we're into what it will it take to bring glory out of my life. So it's the Word of God with a good and noble heart, keeping it. So keeping it, one thing it means is to remember it, right? I have to retain it. The other thing it means is to obey it. Obey it. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. 
So really, to keep the word of God means to do what it says. It doesn't do you any good if you just know it and you don't do it. Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed or happy are you if you do them. So keeping the word of God, bringing glory to God, comes from obeying the word of God. <clears throat> okay, the final uh, piece of instruction in order to, bear, to bring glory to God out of our lives, in order to bear fruit to him, is patience. Patience. Now, one of the things the Lord impressed upon me this week as I was studying this section, I can bring glory to God every moment of my life. I don't have to wait because of how I react toward Him or how I respond to Him. If I come to a situation and I know what God wants me to do, and I do it because I know God wants me to do it, I am bringing glory to God. I'm showing God is worthy of me doing what he wants me to do instead of what I want to do. So you don't have to wait. You don't have to be patient to bring God glory. You can do it right now. You can do it every moment of your life. But there's some things that we do have to wait for. And uh, we were worshiping God this morning for his work in our lives and making us more like him. And, and more than one person stood up and said, well, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about what it's going to be like. Uh, because we're not fully there. We haven't been fully conformed to his image. Uh, John says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. I mean, the truth is, we don't know how wonderful it's going to be yet. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, so we, we, know, we know a lot, but the truth is we haven't yet come to the fullness of what God intends to do out of our life. And so you have to have patience for that. If you want to see the fullness of God's, how wonderful God is because of what he's doing with you, you have to be patient. It takes time. And, and to some, sometimes it's things we may achieve in this life. I might be struggling with one, one sin or another in my life, and boy, Lord, give me victory over it. You know, I may have victory over it. And I may have to wait. It may take time for me to be conformed to the Lord to that level where I have victory in that area. Uh, One other way I was thinking in which we may have to wait is uh, sometimes the Lord doesn't give us the ministry we want. I want to glorify God and uh, I want to glorify Him being a missionary in uh, Kazakhstan or somewhere else. And yet the Lord hasn't opened the door for that. And all he opened the door is for me to, to just minister here in this church in this small way. <coughs> I, I use George Mueller as an example. What I didn't know about George Mueller before listening to this biography is George Mueller wanted to be a missionary. He didn't want to take care of orphans. Now, I don't think George Mueller chafed at taking care of orphans. I think he rejoiced in it. He enjoyed it. He recognized how God was glorified through it. But that wasn't what he first wanted to do. He really wanted to be a missionary. In fact, he went to England with that purpose. There were some people in England that said, if you'll come to England and go to their school for six months, they'll send him out as missionaries uh, to the Jews in Poland. So George Mueller could have been a missionary to you know, my great-grandparents. But the Lord would not have it. And that door was closed. And for 40 years, George Mueller had to be satisfied being a father to the orphans, which is, again, he wasn't chafing. He brought glory to God. He rejoiced in it. But something happened in George Mueller's 70th year. He got ill, and a doctor said, well, you have to go over there to this out-of-the-way place to recover, be more in the sun. It's hard to find find sunshine in England. You have to really look for it. So George Mueller went there, and he had an opportunity to speak, so he spoke at a church, and he told about his story and the way the Lord was using it. And there was such a mighty blessing put upon that church as a result of George Mueller speaking that he said, I can't just keep it. I have to go to other places and tell them too. And that started 17 years of George Mueller's life from the age of 70 to the age of 87 where he literally went around the world several times preaching. He said that he personally preached to 3 million people. And that's before amplification and before radio and MP3s on the Internet. Three million people heard him speaking. He became, in a sense, a missionary, and in many ways an encourager of missionaries, because very often the Lord used him to encourage other people in their labor. So sometimes 
we need patience for the particular way the Lord wants to glorify himself through us. And uh, in the meantime, let us uh, have this good heart that the Lord wants us to have. Let his word work in our lives so we can bring him the glory he wants to bring out of our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you looked upon us and instead of seeing vessels fit for destruction, you saw uh, potential for the glory of God. And uh, with uh, unimaginable love, you pulled yourself out for us to bring us from the lowest place to the very highest place that we might forever be an example of God's glory. Lord, we desire to more than just be an example of your uh, kindness and grace in heaven. We do want to bring glory to you uh, here on the earth. We want to do it even today. Pray that you might show us how you want us to do that and might also enable us to do it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.